0: Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Back to Ashes. My name is Phoenix. I'd like to thank the Reform members of the channel Les Crispin, Tammy Slayton, CAG, Interscare Wifey, Denise Sess, Through Scrutiny, Samantha Place, Stephanie McLaren, Corpse Lover, Norm DW, Chrissy Elias, Cindy Cleveland, and Patty's Niece. If you would like to become a member of the channel or buy me a coffee as a special thank you, all that information can be found down below. If you like what you are hearing and are new here or have already been here, Please don't forget to subscribe, like, share, and comment. Not only does it help the channel out, but it reminds you of every time I upload a video. With all of that being said, it is time to go back to ashes. For once we arise from the ashes, we are a bigger, brighter, stronger, and a happier person in the morning. Sit back, relax, kick back, grab a snack, or tuck in to get warm and prepare for this dose of melatonin entitled True Let's Not Meet Stories. Right after this intro an ad will play, I'll read the first story and ad will play, and after that there will be no more ads within this video. When I first started escorting, I was completely clueless. I was desperate and usually would text with someone who got my number off a site and arrange a meeting. These guys were usually married and we couldn't go to their place, so we would do car dates. Real cheap horseshit. before I knew what kind of money I could be making. Save the judgment because I don't give an F. It's my job. Anyway, I get this text from a guy a few weeks in. He's early 40s, single, white male. He says he'd love to meet me, but just seems way too into it. But desperate times. So I decide to meet with him. I let someone know where I was going and walk out of my apartment into the back of the complex to meet him. I knew enough to know I didn't want him to know where I lived. He's not the guy in the pictures but that happens these guys want to remain discreet we go to the hotel i start to undress and he stops me we sit on the bed and he tells me he wants me comfortable i'm a tiny 5 foot 4 120 pound woman anyone could honestly take me he climbs on top of me and pulls out a knife in front of my face it's my knife he slid it out of my pocket What's this for? Did you think you needed it? It wouldn't have helped. If I wanted to hurt you, I definitely could. I'm freaked the hell out, but at this point I'm pinned under this guy who is really short but has a marine background and about 125 pounds on me. We finish the deed and I clean myself and get dressed. Our time has been up but he keeps himself between me and the door. I'm hella uncomfortable as he keeps telling me about things he could do if he wanted and that he could easily just get away with it. I eventually make it home and say I won't see that one again. But weeks later, and I'm desperate again. I ended up having three or four dates with this guy, and he got increasingly creepier and more possessive. I ended up telling him to lose my number and had to block him. Some of these men walking amongst us are true psychos. So, Ray Ray, let's not meet ever again or anymore. So, let me get a couple things straight. Our little village was the kind of place where everyone knows everyone, and I could count the amount of houses on two hands. We were a really quiet and close-knit community, and nothing ever happened there. Proper out-in-the-sticks stuff. One night, a few years ago, my mom and my stepdad had gone out to this concert and left me in charge of my little brother and the dog. I wasn't very old, maybe around 14, and I feel really proud that my parents trust me enough to do that. I thought I was a pretty cool big brother, and I thought we'd be doing cool babysitter stuff like staying up late, eating pizza, etc. I'm kind of glad we did because I don't know what would have happened if we hadn't. At around 10.30, the power cut out. I didn't think anything of it because the weather hadn't been great lately. I figured that had had something to do with it. I got some candles out of the cupboard and lit them and put some of our favorite songs on. As soon as I sat back down, Sonny, who was my little brother, turned to me and, being the weird little kid that he is, told me very calmly that someone was outside. I was a little perturbed by him, but the dog hadn't done anything, so... I presumed it was just the neighbors or something. He just shrugged and went back to his drawings. There's a running joke in our house that you don't need a clock with the dog around because he is such a creature of habit that he will consistently get up at exactly the same time every night to tell you that it's time to initiate his nightly go-to-bed protocol. It was about three quarters of an hour after the power went out when my dog decided that now was the time. I told Sonny to go get the dog, his biscuit, while I let him out for a piss. Now, our kitchen is an extension to the original house, and so as such, has a flat roof that's completely low to the ground compared to the rest of the house and offers easy access to the bathroom window. As I open the door so the dog could do his thing, Sonny pushes past me in the doorway and whispers, I know you're out there and I'm calling the police. As he turned around with the biggest, proudest smile you have ever seen on his face, there was a very distinct rustling coming from just above the doorway. I don't think I'll ever forget the way Sonny's face dropped when he looked just above my head. I looked up. A man sitting on the roof above me panicked, tried to kick me, and then ran off into the next door's garden, and presumably into the cornfield surrounding our village. I was scared shitless, and Sonny was bawling his eyes out. I ushered him inside as quickly as I could and got a knife from the kitchen. We both went to his room, and I told him to try and get some sleep while I waited for our parents to come back. It was an agonizingly long four hours before they did. My stepdad immediately went outside to check to see if everything was all right. I heard them talking about how something had smashed the fuse box. Obviously, we called the police, but they didn't come until later that day. They did a search of the immediate premises and found a makeshift bed in a nearby disused barn, along with pictures of silhouettes of us in the shower through the frosted glass. I think it's pretty safe to say the whole experience definitely shook us up. We moved out as soon as we could, but I still shut curtains whenever I can, and I see shadows underneath every door I see. Sonny keeps quiet about it but I'm not sure if that's just because his brain has cut it out or what. So yeah, weird kitchen roof stalker guy. I hope we never meet again. This happened in my senior year of college, and I lived off campus. I had two roommates in my apartment townhouse thing, named Natalie and Katie. Anyway, Katie was out that night doing homework in one of the school buildings, and I was awoken at 3am when I heard someone knocking at the door downstairs. I thought that was weird, considering the hour, but I figured somebody had the wrong place and would realize and leave. The knocking didn't stop, though, and I lied in bed for a good several minutes, thinking, Yeah, they'll go away now. They'll go away. They'll get bored. As one might expect, though, I started to grow confused and then kind of freaked out by this person's persistence. Then the knocking turned into banging, and I couldn't ignore it anymore. Honestly, I probably should have called the police instantly, but it was the middle of the night, and I was just confused so I headed to the top of the stairs to see Natalie standing near the door, staring at it. Her room was on the bottom floor, so she had just walked up to it. We exchanged a baffled look because what the hell, it's 3 a.m., this is really weird. Natalie called out and asked them who they were and what they wanted. We're friends of Katie's, said the voice on the other end who sounded male and about our age. We know her boyfriend, and we heard she was feeling down, so we came to surprise her. That was already a weird story, because, again, three in the morning. But thankfully, Katie wasn't even home, so we both informed them of this. Katie's not here. She's off doing something else. Good. They're going to leave, right? They came here to see Katie. She's not here. They'll leave us alone and we can go back to sleep. Just open the door. I know. I know. If I hadn't called the police before, I definitely should have done it now. It was weird, though. That night, I realized why people do stupid stuff in horror films. Not only had I been woken up out of nowhere, but it feels surreal to be in a situation like this. Like there's no way you could actually be in danger. That only happens in horror movies and true crime documentaries and in questionable creepy stories online. It would never happen to me. I'm just a random, ordinary, boring person going about my business. I don't need to call the police. I'm sure this will get cleared up and everything will be fine. So yeah, Natalie and I did the stupid thing and tried to argue with them. We told them that, again, Katie wasn't here. There was no need for them to stay. Eventually, Natalie asked what their names were. Throughout the encounter, we made out two distinct voices, but only one gave us the name. And I texted Katie without telling them, asking if she was friends with someone with that name. After a couple minutes, during which we were still arguing with the stranger, Katie replied, I am, but I don't think she knows where I live. That wasn't good. But even worse, she? The person on the other side of the door had a male voice. So this was a real name, but not the real person. Whoever this was knew stuff about Katie, like who she hung out with. I told Katie to stay where she was and not to come back until we told her everything was okay. Finally, we told the guys that if they didn't leave, we were going to call the police. No, 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 no. Don't call the police. Don't call the police, okay? If we wanted to do something bad, we already would have done it, right? Yeah, that last bit wasn't helping their case. Just open the door, okay? The attempts at reasoning with them basically devolved into them telling us, Just open the door. Just open the door. Over and over and over again. Until we finally actually did call the police. We hid in Natalie's room and dialed 911 and explained what was going on. Thankfully, there was a police station close by so it wouldn't take long for them to arrive. Unfortunately, I made the mistake of heading back into the living room and yelling through the door that we'd call the cops. But contrary to what you might think, that actually didn't seem to scare them at all. They seemed only mildly upset and kept arguing. To this day, I can only assume that they just didn't believe us or something. Then we heard a neighboring home's door swing open and a very pissed off man's voice. If you don't leave right now, I'm calling the police. For whatever reason, that was what caused them to freak out, and they drove off. The police arrived, and we told them the whole story. Natalie revealed that a couple of times, she had just barely peeked through the blinds of a window close to the door, and she noticed that there were two guys, but only one of them was ever at the door at any given time. They would switch with one at the door and the other sitting in the driver's seat of a car parked out front presumably for getaway purposes. So yeah, that's reassuring. They also hadn't looked drunk, according to Natalie, and they definitely hadn't sounded like they were drunk. There wasn't much the police could do besides sweep the area a bit, but they told us that if the strangers showed up again to immediately call instead of engaging with them at all. One of the officers did give us some self-defense tactics and told us what kinds of household items and chemicals would work best for self-defense. After making sure everything was all right and reassuring us, they left, and we eventually called Katie and told her the weirdos were gone. She arrived and was understandably a bit shaken herself. We sat down and asked her who might have known where she lived. She did not know people who had come to the apartment, so some people certainly, but Natalie hadn't recognized the guys outside as my previous visitors. Worse, it turned out that not only did they know Katie's friend's name, but they claimed to know her boyfriend, even though he didn't even live in the state where we were going to school. She swore up and down she didn't know anyone who would want to hurt her, By this point, it was around 5 a.m., so I didn't even bother going to bed, since I was going to a workshop that morning. I told a lot of my classmates the story, and it freaked them out, too. And the entire day, Natalie and I jumped at every unexpected noise, every shadow, every random movement. That night, it was hard to sleep. I expected to hear knocking at the door at any second. Thankfully, they didn't come back. Ever. But that almost makes things more unsettling, in a way. I'll never, ever know what they wanted that night. Did they think we were hiding Katie? Was she seeing less than savory people in secret? Did they want to hurt her? If they did, why did they never give up and go looking for her elsewhere? Was all of that just an excuse to get into an apartment of young women? Did they want to kidnap us, hurt us, rob us? Who knows? I try not to let it bother me, but I wished I knew if my life was in danger that night. I have the feeling it might have been. After all, they weren't wearing face coverings, so if they wanted to commit a violent crime, they might want to get rid of the witnesses. But despite how much I wished I knew... Yeah, random strange men who insisted we let them inside for unknown reasons don't ever show up here again. Okay, this happened in 2016 when I was a 17-year-old first-year college student in film school. I'm now 22, my name is Julia. I lived alone in my first ever apartment. It was really small, but I was really proud of my independence. I never felt unsafe in this apartment for several reasons. There were multiple gates in the residence that needed to be opened with a code. Only the people who lived there knew it. My door had three different locks and it was right next to the university so most people who lived in the neighborhood were college students. Nothing bad ever happened in that neighborhood before. I've always been very careful when locking the door when I leave my home. I always check twice. Yes, I have slight OCD. So this one time, I leave to go to class and lock my door, but for some reason, I couldn't get the key out of the lock. It was completely stuck. So I went to get the caretaker of the building to help me, but he wasn't there, and I was getting late for class. So I went to class with the key still in the lock. I took off the keychain first so it's not too noticeable. When I get home, the caretaker was back, so he came to help me, and we couldn't get it out for 15 minutes until somehow he did. He told me the lock was damaged, but that I didn't necessarily need to change it. If I only locked it once instead of twice, I just said okay, and that was the end of it. I really wasn't worried because of how safe I felt in this building. Flash forward to two months later, I was taking out the trash one night at around 11pm, while on the phone with my sister. I remember telling her that I was taking out the trash, Then, afterwards, I would take a shower before heading to a party. As I previously said, I always locked the door. Even just to take out the trash, because of my lock being damaged, I only locked it once. When I got back to my apartment, I found the door unlocked, which immediately alarmed me. So, I went into the apartment and I locked the door immediately with three different types of locks. When you walk into my apartment, which is about 215 square feet, you have the main room in front of you and the bathroom door immediately to your left. I had left the bathroom door slightly open, even so I could see a man in the shower, turning his back on me. Naturally, when I saw this, I tried to open the door and leave as fast as possible, except my main lock was damaged from two months earlier and I couldn't open it no matter how hard I tried. In this moment, all I could think of was the fact that I had to leave as fast as possible. I jumped out the window without really thinking. I figured it was the only solution, except I live on the second floor, so I completely smashed my ankles in the landing. I started running in whichever way I could, and when I got a little further from the building... I looked back and a man was there at my window, watching me run away. I thought of two possible outcomes. Either the man was going to jump and chase me, except I wouldn't get far with my twisted ankles, or he would get scared of the height and be locked in the apartment. Thankfully, he chose option two. I went to hide in a bush a little further and called the police, who arrived in just ten minutes because I live close to the station. They pushed my door open, and the man was there just sitting on my couch, holding a kitchen knife, waiting for me to come back, like he didn't think I would call the police. They arrested the guy and later told me he had already been arrested for sexual assault, attempted kidnapping, and attempted murder. They also told me how everything had happened. Like I said, it was a fairly friendly neighborhood with mostly college students, so he got in the building by other people holding the door for him. He then heard me telling my sister I was going to take a shower, which was why he was waiting in the bathroom for me. He crocheted my lock while I was taking out the trash. He apparently noticed me on school campus and followed me to my home several times before, succeeding to actually come in. He stayed inside, waiting for me because I had recently changed my phone and the previous one was still on the table, so he thought I didn't have a phone with me to call the police. I don't live there anymore, but after that, to get into the building, we all needed identification proving we live there. Building IDs were created and we had to scan them every time and it was the only way to go inside the building. Nothing bad happened in that neighborhood after that. It's back to being its very peaceful and friendly self. To the guy who broke into my apartment and made himself at home, let not meet. This is the craziest thing that has ever happened to me. And what makes it worse? Is that had things gone down differently, I might not have been here to tell you the story. Okay, first things first, I am a girl, about five foot seven and around one hundred and thirty pounds. This happened to me about three years ago when I was in my early twenties and still a student, living in a very safe area. Growing up, I had loved martial arts and having grown up in a small rural town, I'd take what I could get. Karate? Fine. Judo? Sure. Kung fu? Why not? Taekwondo? Sign me up. I loved martial arts, and I still do, because they help me discipline my body and mind and grow my confidence. It had been a few years since I moved out to my country's capital to study, and I had kind of fallen off the martial arts wagon at that point, with college taking up most of my time. I should also mention that at the time, I lived with my younger brother and our cat. We lived on the first floor, the second floor for all my American people, right next to a military camp in a patch of forest which leads to a creek. On our back balcony, there was a circular metal ladder that would lead up to our balcony and the kitchen door, which, of course, we always kept under lock and key except for when the cat wanted to go out. Then we'd unlock the door, and he would go down the outdoor metal steps to find his cat friends and play. I commuted to my college every day by walking 30 minutes to a bus stop, then riding the bus for an hour, and then walking another 10 minutes until I made it to campus. And when it was time to go home, I'd have to do the same thing all over again. So, as you can imagine this was very tiring. I would be out of the house every day from 10 in the morning until almost 10 at night, so when I'd come home, I'd be knackered. I don't believe in premonitions much, but I do believe in instinct, and for quite a while, I felt like something was up with the patch of forest behind our apartment. I felt watched. Maybe it was the blackness of that pitch of forest that made me feel uneasy because there wasn't a single light there and the outdoor ladder looked like it descended into an abyss. You could take three steps into that patch of forest and you'd be under complete cover of darkness. It made me feel weird because even though I couldn't see anything I knew that something was up. I had no proof but I knew it. I was in class one Wednesday afternoon with my best friend at the time, and a professor came in to pitch an internship to us. Internships aren't very well known in my country, so professors actually have to argue their case about why. As students, we could benefit from this. My best friend, I'll just call her K was very interested, and when the professor listed off the requirements, She realized she couldn't apply, as her GPA was not high enough. This led to Kay having a crying fit after the class was over, which led to a panic attack, and it got so bad that she called her boyfriend to come pick her up from campus. And since I didn't want to leave her alone, I stayed with her until her boyfriend showed up and got in his car with her. The conversation in the car was basically me and her boyfriend trying to console her, and help cheer her up. I asked her if she'd like me to go over to her place so we could all hang out. But she said that she was okay and didn't want to put me through the hassle of commuting home the next day. She lives a full hour away by car, so two hours away by public transport. So it was decided that they would just drop me off at my house and they go up to theirs. We get to my house at around 9 p.m., A full three hours before I normally come home, I hug her, tell her to text me if she needs anything, I thank her boyfriend and get out of the car, glad that I'll be home early for a change. I went in through the main entrance, climbed up the stairs to the first floor and put my key in my lock. I opened the door and called out my brother's name like I always did and got no response. The house was dark except for one light in the room where the front door opened into, and eerily quiet. But I felt my stomach tie into knots, because even if I couldn't hear anything, I could feel that someone was here. And when my instinct talks, I listen. I turned right into the hallway that leads into our bedrooms, and I saw my brother's door slammed shut hard as soon as I got in the hallway. My brother's room is on the end of the hallway on the left, facing my own room, which is on the right of the hallway. My first thought was that my brother had taken a shower and forgotten to get a towel, so he made a run for it from the bathroom, which is next to my room, in embarrassment. But then I heard muffled whispers coming from his room, sounded hushed and pressing. I still had no reason to be afraid. But I was on high alert because I thought my brother and his friends were planning on jumping out of his room and scaring me, and I wasn't about to let them get that satisfaction. So I inch down the short hallway through the darkness, and before I kick on my brother's door, I take a look at my room. It was an effing mess. My mattress was off my bed, my clothes and my books were all over the floor. My jewelry box was empty and thrown on my bed. All in all, it looked like a tornado had gone through there, and the hushed whispers in the next room sounded extremely pressing and anxious now that I was close, because though I had tried to tiptoe as silently as possible, my steps had been audible. I realized what was happening, and I went ballistic. At that moment, I effing lost it. My fight or flight instinct kicked in and it kicked fight into maximum overdrive. The words danger, thieves, fight hit me like a truck and I threw my whole weight onto my brother's door. Busting that door down so furiously you'd think it owed me money. I saw one man in the room, but it was also an effing mess and I knew what I had heard. So I ran to the balcony door. I ripped the curtain out of my way and went through the open balcony door just in time to catch one of the thieves right after he jumped off the balcony ledge. Looking back on it, he looked like a normal guy, black hair, normal height, athletic build, big earring on his left ear, but at the same time, he looked like an effing monster to me, a vile, putrid, home-invading piece-of-shit thief monster. I started screaming unintelligible things as I saw him stumble around, obviously having hurt his legs, before he got back up on his feet and ran away. They were gone. I was safe, but then it hit me. Where the hell was my laptop? I ran into my room and tore the place apart looking for my laptop. It was gone. I started screaming and crying. The unfairness, audacity, and cowardice hit me like a steel toad to the stomach. I screamed and cried like I was in a Grecian tragedy. I am not rich by any means, and neither is my family. I had an old laptop, which was probably worth pennies secondhand, but I needed that laptop for my schoolwork, and without it, I couldn't finish my semester, not to mention that I don't have many real-life friends and the majority of my friends at the time were online, so if I lost that laptop, I lost them too. My laptop was lost, and so was I. I felt violated, dirty, and less than. I was afraid I'd throw up or pass out or possibly both. I was taking such rapid and deep panic breaths that my vision began to blur in the most panic and grief-stricken state I've ever been in in my life, tears streaming down my face. I called my mother to tell her what had happened, and she told me to call the police. It took me almost a full minute on the phone with the operator, telling her again and again where I lived, who I was, and what had happened before she understood me and said she'd send someone over. A few days later, I was talking with my mother about the incident, and she told me something that hit me hard. I come from a pretty much trilingual household, and she told me that when I called her that night, she couldn't make out what language I was speaking because I had been so panicked. Makes sense why I had to repeat myself over and over to the operator. I started running around the house like a lunatic, checking every door and every lock in a frenzy, until I got to the kitchen and saw that the window had been broken. Without thinking, I slammed it shut. Stupid, I know. But I was beside myself. I wasn't thinking straight. My brother came home a few minutes later, and when he came in, he saw me panic, crying my eyes out and speaking almost intelligibly. He came to the bedrooms and he saw the damage and told me to go sit in the living room and calm down. I did as he said and tried to calm down, but I jumped at every sound and started crying worse, telling him I am sorry that I got home too late and that our laptops were gone. The house seemed so big to me at those moments, so dark, so hostile, and I felt so small and helpless. My brother called me over to my room and showed me a pillowcase full of something, and when we looked inside, we both found laptops, all my jewelry, fake, all of it, my old phone, and some other stuff. They had been right in front of me the entire time, but I was so messed up that I didn't even register what was happening. The police eventually came out about an hour later and did F it all. So, my brother and I took it to the police station and filed a report for the incident. And since I had seen half of one of the culprit's faces, they asked me to come in for an identification. They even sent over someone to dust for prints. Nothing ever came of it. The police said that since they didn't even have a backpack to put the loot in and resorted to using one of my pillowcases, they were almost 100% junkies. We had the outdoor metallic ladder ripped off our kitchen balcony, much to my cat's displeasure, since that's how they got in. We also installed several motion-detecting lights. For the next few months, I was constantly on edge, and every time I passed near some suspicious characters who hung out around our usual bus stop, I felt a violent rage boil within me. I caught myself looking for the man I had seen, ready to beat him within an inch of his life. But I never did see him again, or heard his creepy whisper partner again, and my brother and I moved away from that apartment a few months later, because I never felt comfortable in that apartment again. I picked up kickboxing, and because it had made me stronger, it has helped me feel safer, and I always Carry a knife with me now. I still think back on that encounter and realize how freaking stupid I was. What creeps me out the most is knowing that, that night, there had been nothing but a thin plywood door separating me from two potentially dangerous men. Even if I know that me busting in my brother's room like a lunatic is what scared them off because of how stupidly fearless I was. I also realized how bad it could have gone. They could have had guns, they could have had knives, they could have had pepper spray or a chain or whatever. And there were two of them, and only one of me. And if they ganged up on me, even with the adrenaline having turned me into Doomguy... I don't know how much of a chance I realistically stood against two men, high on whatever they were on and desperate enough to break into an apartment and stuff loot into a pillowcase. Had they been willing to put up a fight, this would have ended very, very bad for me. What I do know is that I probably still would have bust in there like Doom Guy. So, to the creepy, cowardly bastards who dared break into my apartment, and tried to rob me and my brother and ended up traumatizing me so bad I had to move. F you both. I hope for your effing sake we never meet again, because I've been kicking that sandbag for two years now and picturing your face every single time. I was watching my daughter's kids while she and her husband go out of town. I have a teenage daughter. Let's just call her Alyssa. At like 3 a.m., I'm awoken by a weird rustling sound and look out the window and see movement. I saw a boy emerge from the bushes on the side of the house. I saw a bike tossed on the lawn that definitely wasn't ours. My first thought was that it was a burglar casing houses but since he looked young and came through on a bike, I figured scaring him straight would be enough for him to decide to head home. Didn't want to ruin a teenager's life by calling the cops straight away. So I went out on the porch, flipped the lights on, and said, ''Can I help you?'' in my classroom voice. The guy looked surprised, but not nervous. He was wearing a letterman-style jacket. But once I got a clearer view of him in the streetlights, he seemed much older than my granddaughter. Gruff and more wiry than athletic. He walked up closer to the house and said, Yeah, I'm looking for Alyssa. I gave him a disapproving glare, hoping he'd realize he came looking for a girl late at night and a grumpy old person answered, It's time to split. I'm thinking what must have happened is Alyssa knew her parents were going out of town and maybe before she knew I'd be staying over, told a secret older boyfriend to come over. It was late and I was alone with several kids, so I didn't want him coming any closer to the house. I also thought it was weird he came so late and wanted to be sure Alyssa actually wanted to talk to him. So I said... Uh, I'm sorry who and he said Alyssa you know Alyssa last name this is her house I thought he knew her first name so they must be at least friends I said you wait here he started to walk up and I felt a sick burning in my gut instinct kicked in I yelled no stop freeze Then readjusted and said, You stay right there. This is private property. Don't take a step closer. Wait right there. So I go in and Alyssa is asleep, just one room over, from where the rustling first occurred. And I wake her up and say something to the effect of, I don't know what big idea was to have friends over this time of night, but you tell them to go home. She had no clue what I was talking about. I say, there's a guy outside asking for you. Confused, she gets up and goes to the window. She sees him and goes white as a sheet. He asked for me? Yeah. By name? Yes. Call the police? I've never seen him in my life. I called 911 immediately, but... As I was on the phone with them, Alyssa started tugging at my arm. He's coming up. I had younger kids in the house to think about, so I kept the door latched and pulled it just open enough for the latch and yelled. I asked my husband, and none of us know in Alyssa last name. Leave my property or I'm calling 911. He got angry and started yelling for her to come out. Thankfully, the police came pretty quickly and when he heard the siren, he grabbed the bike and ran off. I watched where he was running, and he jumped into the passenger side of a car without headlights or front plates and sped off. The police followed in the same direction once I pointed them, but they didn't get him. They advised us to take all our social media details offline if she was sure she didn't know this person and said they had an encounter similar reports recently, and we're looking into it. I got a heavy-duty lock, and she slept in my room for the remainder of my visit. This happened many years ago, but I've just discovered that the person in question has been released from prison. In my mid-twenties, I was bouncing around. I couldn't settle on what to do. And after a long and crappy relationship, was mostly interested in having fun. I was at uni, but wasn't the most committed student. I had been working at a restaurant and a hotel, but absolutely hated it. And a friend told me about working as a receptionist in a brothel. It's completely illegal where I live. And said the money was decent. It fit in well with uni. It wasn't difficult. And if clients were rude, you could just kick them out. Unlike hospitality, where you had to be polite all the time. I found a place that I was looking for, receptionists. And went for an interview and got a job. And it was fine. I mean, not the most interesting job in the world, but it paid okay. I could smoke out the back back when cigarettes didn't cost $50 a pack. I could study if it was quiet, and I know what everyone is thinking at this point. Receptionist is code for sex worker, and I promise it isn't. I have no proof, but lying about it doesn't make the story any better. In fact, if I were a sex worker, it might be an even more interesting story. Sadly, no such excitement in my life. We had a couple regular clients, and they all had reputations of some kind. This guy only books half an hour, but always extends his bookings at least once. This guy will pay extra for dirty talk. A lot of it was innocuous, just information passed between people that we, as receptionists, always heard about all the time. But some of it was more along the lines of a warning. The guy will try and remove the condom. This guy wants to spank but won't ask first. And then there was the doctor. The doctor had a lot of money and would, potentially, book multiple workers for a long time. He paid well for reasonably boring extras, like fancy lingerie or fancy roleplay, aka nurse's uniform but he had a big red warning sign above his head. The first time he came in, one of the other receptionists warned me. No one has to do an intro with him if they don't want to. Warn the girls it's the doctor. I called the intro, i.e. I went to the staff room, and said intro in meeting room one, which generally meant that every available worker should go in, say their name, flirt, or whatever after which one of the receptionists would find out who they wanted to see and how long for. And all the workers stood up and then said, It's the doctor. And all but two sat back down. So I immediately asked what the deal is, and they explained that he likes cocaine. He likes workers who like, or pretend to like, cocaine. And he's a neurosurgeon who gets access to weird drugs, and often his cocaine is far from pure. Not cut with drain cleaner, but cut with pharmaceuticals, like amestics used for surgery. I also enjoy drug insertion. I'm sure you can fill in the blanks there. He was sometimes belligerent if workers refused him, after they've started the booking. And he was just creepy. When we would go in to check with him, he'd try and grab us, make us, the receptionist, sit down. And to be clear, I'm not what people would consider attractive. Plus, he did do it with all the receptionists. He grabs our hands and tries to stroke our arms. He had this super intense stare, like a mannequin that could actually make eye contact. I know that sounds weird, but it's hard to describe. It's like he was staring right into you, but also not seeing you at all. His expressions were weird and just didn't work on his face. Like his mouth would smile or move, but his eyes wouldn't change from that intense stare. I guess it might have been the cocaine, but it was deeply unsettling and just made you feel squick. Having said all that... There were a few experienced workers who knew how to handle him, get the most out of him whilst experiencing the least possible risk. It's possible to fake snorting a line. I did not know that up until this point. Hence, giving workers the option to meet the client. I can't remember if he saw anyone that first time. If I recall correctly, he had a handful of bookings in the time I worked there. He did have strict instructions not to ever let anyone do an outcall with him. That is booking at anywhere other than the brothel. Plus, we had a few other harm minimization strategies. Then, after a while, one of the workers who was okay with seeing him left to go traveling, and no one else would see him. So, he gradually stopped coming in, as no one would intro him. I moved on to receptioning at a different brothel. A new one had opened closer to where I lived and the pay was better. And he showed up again there. I knew he would frequent all the places he could until his reputation overtook him. When he showed up at the new place, I told all the workers about him and no one was okay with seeing him. He only tried a couple more times before he abandoned us. A year or so later, I had moved on to a different job. I couldn't do night shifts anymore. And I was chatting with a friend from the brothel who said, Oh my God, did you hear about the doctor? He killed someone and got arrested. And it was true. The doctor had killed a worker who had been sent to his apartment. The worker lay dead in his bed for two days. Officially, it was manslaughter and he also pled guilty to supplying the drug that killed another worker. All this happened because, A, he's a terrible dumpster fire of a human, and B, because one awful brothel manager, and the owners behind the bar, put profits in front of safety and kept sending workers to bookings with them without giving them full warnings, and specifically sending inexperienced workers and without keeping them in-house. It later came out that the medical board had known of his cocaine addiction for many years prior to his arrest and had helped cover up some botched surgeries. It was horrifying to hear, and we both spent some time telling stories we knew about him. But then, I mostly forgot about it. Then, I was chatting to an old friend the other day who reminded me of him, and I got on Google I found out that he's been released from prison. I, hope, not practicing medicine, but he could be anywhere now. So, murdering, drug-addicted, now free, former neurosurgeon, let's never meet again. An incident happened over the Christmas break when I was working late at my job. There's been a spat of recent kidnapping attempts where my parents live, but I was still determined stupidly to not let that stop me from working the late shifts. My shift finished at 3 a.m. and none of my colleagues drove, at least none on that shift. So I ended up working. The pub I work in is on the seafront, and is close to a lot of clubs and bars, so it's often swarmed with people, so it feels safe to walk down. But the further in town you get, the darker it gets, and the less people there are. Not even cars drive there very often. There's a weight rose on the corner that leads up towards my road, and it has a few high walls surrounding it and I could see three guys jumping along the wall. They'd been to the pub I work in a few hours before, drinking, so I recognized them as I had served them. As I walked past them, they shouted at me. I had my earphones in, but they weren't playing music, so I could hear what they said. My mom always tells me that since I work alone at night, I shouldn't listen to music and I'd never listened to her before the Christmas break. And so, I put them in but never listened to anything. As I passed them by, not answering them, they muttered something about following me. I'd never experienced a moment of anxiety quite as intense as I did in the moment of hearing that. And then seeing their shadows sticking close behind me on the road was adrenaline-pumping. After two roads in a moment of clarity, I thought to call someone, or at least pretend to be on the phone, and so I tried calling my mom, but she didn't answer. Though, this seemed to do the trick, and I saw them turn on their heels and walk briskly in the opposite direction. When I was around the corner from my house, I called the police, thinking about the recent kidnappings and assaults that had been occurring. I thought it was a good idea to call the police and report it, and though I was still rattled, I managed to be coherent enough to begin a report. A day later, I finished the report and the police told me that no one was found in the area, and nobody had reported anything else, so I felt relieved in regard to that they haven't appeared to hurt anyone else. I have never had anything that terrifying in my life happened. At least in the sense of I have never properly been followed by someone late at night. I've had people follow me around shops and the town during the day and I could truck them off. But nothing like that in the early morning alone on the streets. Stay safe out there everyone and don't walk at night with earphones in. I certainly won't be doing that ever again. I grew up in the mountains on a dirt road in the middle of nowhere. The closest town was eight miles away. My little sister and I around eleven and eight. We're latchkey kids, and every night we'd walk home from the bus stop and hang out at home until our parents got out of work. One night, the phone rang. I ran to answer it, and I hear lots of static and can't really hear anyone speaking. This is when the first cell phones came out, and we don't know anyone who had one. My sister and I were also taught that if someone asks to speak to one of our parents, not to tell the caller they weren't home, just that they couldn't come to the phone. The phone rings. I answer again, and this time I could hear a very low and creepy man's voice. Where's your mommy? Uh, she can't come to the phone right now. <laughs> come on. Where's your mommy? I freaked out and hung up. The phone rings again hands shaking I answer lots of static again and I could hear a car engine I'm coming to get you where's your mommy she's not home I hang up the phone and take my sister into our bedroom and we hide on the floor between our twin beds I'm crying and shaking and this is making her cry our only neighbor was not home so any adult intervention was at least 15 minutes away. I pick up the phone to call my mother, and the man is on the line again. It was like I picked it up just before it rang. I see you. Where's your mommy? I was able to get through to my mother finally, and she called my grandfather, who went to the house and took us to his house nothing ever happened and I still don't know who the caller was. My sister and I stayed at our grandparents after school for several days after that. So, to the creepy caller, let's not ever meet or talk again. And that, dear listeners, brings a close to these true Let's Not Meet stories. If you are sleeping, I hope Slumberland is treating you comfortably. If you are awake, I hope you've enjoyed this collection. Until next time, please take care of yourselves. I'll be reading to you soon. Have yourself a good morning, a good afternoon, or good evening. Peace, love, and light to you all. Dot com and check out noom's first ever cookbook the noom kitchen for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living available to buy now wherever books are sold